0: Hello and welcome to the June uh, Dyke Montgomery Relations Podcast. I'm Jim Brandell, and with me is Andy Buchar, and we appreciate you joining us for this, uh, for this episode. So we're going to be talking about what's been going on in Washington, specifically in Congress and on the executive branch uh, over the month of June, as we look into the summer. And there's been a lot going on as we wrap up June and look into August. Uh, We're going to talk a little about the Supreme Court uh, vacancy, some different hot topics happening in Congress, such as trade and immigration and spending, and then wrap it up with an outlook as we look to the November elections, as we do on each of the podcasts. So the first topic, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about is the Supreme Court vacancy. Um, We saw just recently that uh, Justice Kennedy has announced that he will be stepping down from the court and there will be a vacancy um, this summer. So Andy, uh, what does that mean? What's the time frame on that and what should be people expecting? Well, I think the Senate's already said
1: that they weren't going to take the full August recess and I think initially most folks expected them to spend their time sort of muddling through appropriations bills and maybe some lower court judicial nominees and I think with yesterday's announcement of the retirement of Justice Kennedy we're going to see an all-out focus uh, this summer and into the early fall of this nomination that is going to fire up both sides in a way that we probably haven't seen in an awful long time. Now,
0: just to point out, w- w- during the Gorsuch, um, the last vacancy we had after, um, after Justice Scalia passed away so suddenly, um, there was an actual filibuster that was still available as a tool for the minority to use at that point, correct? Correct. And so it was with that um, the use of the filibuster by Senate Minority Leader um, from uh, New York that a lot that uh, Mitch McConnell then used to get rid of the the filibuster into a and to use the, as they call it the nuclear option for getting something through with a simple majority. So, it, it, so are people expecting Andy that this will uh, be a similar situation where there won't be a, a problem getting uh, this nomination through, or will this be an, a protracted fight well, that, that, that some people that, want? That,
1: I think there'll be a fight. But at the end of the day, I don't think there are a lot of tools available to Democrats to be able to stop this on their own. Uh, You're absolutely right that the, the the rules changes in the Senate during the nomination of Justice Gorsuch will make it much easier for Republicans to approve this nominee. The only chance Democrats have of stopping this nomination is to convince a couple of Republicans to vote with them in opposition. The anticipation, at least at this point, is that you're going to need at least two Republican senators to side with the Democrats in order to block any potential nomination. You're going to hear all kinds of rhetoric about the impact. And Justice Kennedy's announcement this week comes after there's been a string of 5-4 decisions that all came down essentially to Justice Kennedy's vote, um, who tends to be the swing vote on this. And all, most of, if not all, of those decisions that they've announced at the end of this term sort of were in favor of the Republican or the the more conservative uh, party in, in these cases. There was a huge union case. There were abortion-related cases. There were some gerrymandering cases. And so as a result of that, I think it's going to, this would have been a hotly contested debate no matter what. But as a result of the cases this week, it makes it that much easier for both sides, frankly, to highlight the importance of this nomination. And I think you're going to see an all out, you know, battle to try to block this on, from the Democratic front with lots of pressure on senators like Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski as it relates to abortion issues and the potential of overturning Roe versus Wade, which I'm sure is going to be both sides using that as a way to motivate their their bases and to bring attention to this issue.
0: But as it stands now, the Democrats don't have any tools to actually stop it. And that also, what you said, Andy, assumes that all Democrats would vote together. And in an election year, we really don't know if that's actually going to be the case.
1: Absolutely right. Last time with... Uh, Justice Gorsuch, there were three Democratic senators that crossed and voted. Senator Manchin, Senator Donnelly from Indiana, and Senator Heitkamp from North Dakota, where the president was
0: last night. And all three of those are actually up for re-election this November. So That's probably not a coincidence. Right. So, you know, at this point, it, it looks like if, if someone who is reasonable is nominated, it looks like a path sometime for confirmation prior to October 1. It's hard to envision how the president does not get his first pick
1: through this time,
0: so with that, um, you know we'll be watching that as we as we move into uh, July and August. We expect lots of of um, hearings and debate about this. And probably a, a vote one way or another sometime in September is what we're anticipating. So more on that next month in our next podcast on More things stand. Now moving to the next topic that's very hot in Washington right now and across the country is on trade and trade relations with other countries. Um, specifically on a, on a couple fronts. Number one on uh, the Section 232 uh, tariffs and the 301 um, issue on, on, on Chinese goods and tariffs on Chinese goods and Chinese investment in the United States. So Andy, kind of level set us on where things stand right now when it comes to where uh, the U.S. is in imposing tariffs both on um, uh, steel and aluminum goods as well as general Chinese goods.
1: Well the president utilized his authority under Section 232 of the trade law to, for national security purposes to place a a tariff on steel and aluminum imports. And originally he had excluded uh, several countries, Canada, Mexico, the EU, but as of June 1st, those exclusions expired and were not renewed. And now all steel and aluminum uh, imports are subject to the tariff, which is having a a big impact on a lot of companies. Uh, The auto industry may be at the top of the list in terms of uh, impact, but it has been, you know, an enormous impact across sort of the, the spectrum of different industries. Uh, there's been lots of sort of outrage from the business community, but up until this point, Congress has been pretty limited in their response at this point. There's been a few senators, Senator Toomey and Senator Corker, who have spoken out pretty aggressively against this policy, but there has yet to be a vote on this issue. That, um, amendments offered by those two senators to try to give Congress a say over tariffs and sort of limit some of the president's authority have gone nowhere so far. And um, in some of the conversations we've had with staff recently, while they are sympathetic to, you know, business concerns over these tariffs, they've indicated that, look, this is part of a much larger, complicated set of trade policies that the president is trying to reverse. And we certainly understand there is some pain involved here, but we think that it's necessary for the long term outcome and to reverse some of these trade policies that the president dislikes so much and has talked about since the campaign.
0: And and these historically are not reversed very quickly. Um, You know, there's been some talk that people like, well, he could just end these tomorrow. We've seen in the past when Bush... Uh, h uh, when George W. Bush um, put uh, steel tariffs. These actually took a while to actually unwind. These are not things that turn on a dime that that's very true. I mean, but I totally agree with that. And in addition
1: to that, the administration would tell you that these tariffs are having the exact effect that they were hoping they they would have that since they've put them into a place, there's been proposals coming from German automakers and you know, pressuring the EU to have a, a remove all tariff barriers to automobiles in in Europe and and that's just one of the examples Secretary Mnuchin I think made this point earlier this week to say that those types of proposals would never have come forward if the president had not sort of upended the normal types of trade policy and so despite the objections we're hearing from many in the business community the administration will tell you that these trade policies not only are they not going to be quickly reversed, but they're having the, the impact that they were hoping they would have to bring people to the table. We haven't seen any results yet, and there's been a lot of backlash from other countries in terms of these tariffs where they've issued their own retaliatory tariffs. Um, but the administration would say that, that it's all part of their long-term plan to push through more favorable trade agreements.
0: And this is all under, you know, happening at the same time where the U.S. is trying to renegotiate a new NAFTA, a NAFTA 2.0. And so these steel and aluminum tariffs are actually hitting our trade partners, um, Canada and Mexico, at a time when we're trying to do a comprehensive rewrite of NAFTA. Absolutely. I think a lot of people
1: would say that these, the, the reason they let the exemptions expire for those countries is that they wanted more leverage in these negotiations for a new nafta but the, the there's an election a presidential election in Mexico this weekend actually where a a leftist sort of outsider is expected to win who has had a lot of heated rhetoric about nafta and may only complicate the negotiations and sort of take a couple steps back
0: with new negotiators under a new administration in Mexico. Now, the one good news on the trade front, if you can call it good news at least, is that the tool called Trade Promotion Authority has been automatically renewed for two years because Congress did not uh, take the, um, uh, the initiative to do a disapproval resolution. So that was, in the last TPA renewal, um, they had this, you know, uh, mechanism where it would be renewed for another 3 years unless there was uh a step by congress to repeal it correct and
1: correct. And, and, and Jim the, the importance of the the TPA renewal is such that it would be almost impossible to pass any type of trade agreement through congress without trade promotion authority which limits congress's ability to sort of edit the trade nego- the the trade agreement and It creates sort of some guidelines and framework for the administration that they have to follow. It establishes a pretty rigid process for approval of any future trade agreement that without that process in place, it'd be almost impossible to see a circumstance where they could approve a new trade agreement. So for those folks that are looking or hoping for a NAFTA 2.0 agreement, it's very important that TPA remains in
0: place. So yeah, so one good news then that we can point to at least is TPA is now gonna be in place for at least another three years, which is very good news knowing that hopefully You know, during this time frame, we can get some of these trade agreements across the finish line. Okay, let's move to um, another one of the big topics, Andy, right now, immigration. That's on the news a lot. Obviously, a lot going on at the border, uh, a lot of visits uh, down there by the the First Lady, other elected officials from both sides of the aisle. um, You know, but... At the end of the day, uh, we're ending uh, the month of June, and there is no uh, new immigration bill that has passed you know, either chamber. Right. Not only is there not a new bill that passed the chamber,
1: the House considered two bills this week and overwhelmingly defeated both of them. And so I think despite all the uproar over what's happening at the border, this issue is now going to be fought out in campaigns this fall and not solved by congressional action. Maybe there'll be some narrowing some narrow immigration policy as it relates to family separation or about trying to reunite families. But in terms of any hope for any type of larger immigration reform or larger immigration policy that would deal with DACA or with a wall or with some of the other big issues on the immigration front, I think that ship sailed this week when Congress couldn't come up with anything Close to approving an immigration bill.
0: So we'll, we'll see in our next episode in July to see if there's any movement there. But I agree with you, Andy. I don't think there's going to be much <clears throat> in the way of progress uh, in the next month before we hit uh, the congressional August recess before that. So we'll, we'll see. Well, that leads us, as you mentioned, in regards to the wall and spending and, and so forth. That's kind of the, the the next big issue here in Washington. You know, there's been a lot of work in both the House and Senate on appropriations bills, which is very which has not been the case in the last few years in regards to the pace and speed and getting bills out the door. So, in one sense. Um, Could you characterize Congress as actually making progress on the appropriations front for once? Yeah, I I think what's interesting on the appropriations front to me is, A, that both chambers are
1: making progress, especially in the Senate, where we haven't seen a lot of appropriations progress in recent years. But there's also two really different approaches as to what's going on between the House and the Senate. The House, as you might expect, especially with the balance of the House... um, um, you know, to be determined this fall, with a lot of folks thinking it might change control. Democrats have been opposing most of the bills that Republicans have put forward. There's been policy riders in House bills, and most of those bills have passed on very strict party lines. The Senate, on the other hand, has taken a really different approach. The Senate today passed the Senate Appropriations Committee, I should say. They haven't passed many bills on the full Senate floor, although they have passed some, which is an improvement over prior years. But today, they passed a labor, health, and education bill, appropriations bill, by almost unanimous, I believe it was unanimous, with both sides heaping praise on the other in terms of crafting a bill. I don't think I can recall a bunch of... Democratic senators saying as nice of things about Republican senators as they were in today's markup. And I I think that the Senate is really committed to trying to get bills through. So in their bills, in order to get this bipartisan sort of kumbaya at markups, they have avoided policy riders. They have avoided, you know, big policy changes in appropriations legislation and have strictly focused on spending based on the agreement that was reached last year. And so you've had Democrats working with Republicans really well in the Senate on appropriations, which in the past has been the exact opposite, where the minority party, whether it was the Republicans when Democrats had control or the other way around, always used that 60 vote threshold to block bills from going forward and to offer amendments that were, you know, really hard for folks to take leading into reelection. And I think as a way to sort of demonstrate their commitment to try to get bills through this time. The Senate has sort of called a truce on that, at least for now. You never know what's going to happen between now and Election Day. And, you know, the Supreme Court nomination and all these other controversial things might sour some of these relationships. But at the moment, we're, we're seeing some progress. Well,
0: that's great. At least there's a, there's a you know, a, a, a special bright light there as, as potential hope for uh, for some bipartisanship. Um, obviously, we don't expect uh, full spending bills for, uh, for the fiscal year to get done by Um, by October 1 um, you know that would be a large order and part of that is as you mentioned in the in our previous topic on immigration is this funding for the border wall Um, one of the things obviously we don't know Andy is is what's the final number going to be in the Homeland Security budget for any type of implementation of border security and so that's one of the big unknowns um, when it comes to the spending bill and if any type of continuing resolution will get us past the October 1 date absolutely I mean Things are going well now, but it's really early in the process. There are lots of
1: sort of landmines throughout the appropriations process that can blow this whole thing up, whether it's funding for the border wall, whether it's funding for Obamacare, whether it's some of the more traditional things that have tripped up appropriations bills in the past as it related to abortion funding or Planned Parenthood funding restrictions. All of those types of things have, you know, are still out there that could blow up this process at at any point and threaten a government shutdown sometime this fall or you know whenever but i don't think any despite the progress they made so far i don't think anyone expects all of the appropriations bills to be done by october 1st we might see a few done which would be an improvement but i don't th- i still think there's going to be a need for some sort of continuing resolution and you know at least past election day
0: okay great well we'll definitely update everyone next month on our next podcast on where we on appropriations we'll definitely be able to see, you know, what progress is being made by then. So let's look at our final topic for today, and as we do in the last, uh, as we've been doing in each podcast, as a as a look to the November elections. Um, and let's let's touch on that. You know, a lot, every every month it seems like something is different, Andy, when it comes to the environment here in Washington. Um, the kind of feeling today. Um, I think some people are feeling that that in the Senate, um, the Republicans are looking a little more hopeful at maybe potentially picking up some seats where things are still very much in flux on the House on whether the Republicans can can keep their majority. So it's very much in flux. Um, You know, the Cook Report came out uh, with a lot of their uh, more kind of analysis recently this month, um, which I just want to touch upon. Um, Historically, any president that has, um, you know, since World War II, uh, the party control uh, of the White House has lost an average of 26 seats uh, in a midterm election. So um, with that, Andy, you know, we're right on the cuspus of, of majority at that point when it comes to you know, the Republican majority currently in the House. Um, what do you think is, you know, what are people thinking? Is thats that is – that, where do you think that people are looking in regards to the fall now? Is that something that people are a little more bullish on? Or, or what kind of things are do we should we be looking for in the days to come that could affect this? I think everyone is trying to read the tea leaves here. And it's becoming harder and
1: harder to predict sort of where things are going. And it's, you know, this week we saw Joe Crowley, who a lot of people thought might have a chance to be the next Speaker of the House, lose in a Democratic primary in A race where he hasn't had an opponent in 14 years and he turned around and lost to a political newcomer who is likely going to be the youngest woman ever elected to the House of Representatives and he lost by something like 15 percentage Mm -hmm. points. And so I think that whenever you think that you sort of have a sense of where this election is going to go, someone throws a curveball into the equation and makes you wonder if all of these historic trends are going to be reflected in this, this year's election cycle. There are 83 competitive Republican seats in the House, according to the political reports that I've seen, and, and only about a, a handful of Democratic seats, less than 20. And so, unlike in the Senate, where those numbers are really reversed, the Democrats have a sort of electoral advantage in the House, and it you could see... A situation where Democrats make huge gains in the House of Representatives only to actually lose a couple of Senate seats right. in the Senate, which I'm pretty sure that as you go back and look through history, there aren't too many instances where one party flips control of a chamber while the other party you know, has a net gain on the other chamber. Usually those things tend to fall together. And so it's really going to be an interesting fall and election season. And the president has already started to engage on in those elections by, you know, being pretty selective as to where he's been the last couple of days, where he thinks he can make the biggest difference. He's been in, he's in Wisconsin today. He was in North Dakota yesterday. He's putting a lot of pressure on senators in those red states like Joe Manchin and Joe Donnelly in the Senate and almost seems as though in watching what's going on that the president is focused on almost creating a backstop for his policies in the Senate, which you know, has enormous advantages to him to
0: help him continue to get through his nominations. Well, there's obviously a lot of variables between now and the November election that we'll be looking out for. So a lot of things you mentioned, Andy, <clears throat> and the things we've talked about, such as the Supreme Court battle, um, there's there's the, the, the talk of having a summit with uh, Vladimir Putin and the president sometime this fall, which could shake things up. Um, obviously, there's the end-of-year funding uh, for the fiscal year, which expires at the end of September, and how the wall funding uh, you know, fits into all of that. And one other big wild and card. And one other big wild card, which um, which we have not mentioned yet, but is out there, and that is uh, the Mueller report, is that all indications are from the special counsel's office is that they want to have this wrapped up sometime well before the midterm election so it doesn't – have an impact directly before the election as crazy as things have been leading up into this
1: point i think they're going to look calm and compared to what it's going to be like when that report comes out i think that you will see congress doing things and being fired up in ways that we have not seen probably since the impeachment days of bill clinton and when you look back at that it pretty much you know grinds most uh things to a halt and so I think that uh, I think everyone is anxious to see what is in their report and what impact it has, and how the president responds.
0: Well, a lot to, to, for us to monitor, and we'll be doing that, and we'll be back to you next month in our, with our next uh, Dikeo Government Relations podcast. So, thanks for joining us today, and we will see you next month.
2: The materials contained in this audio are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute the legal or other professional advice of Dykema Gossett PLLC and affiliates. Dykema. Neither Dykema nor any other Dykema entity accepts any responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on information contained in this audio. Permission is given for the downloading and temporary storage of this audio for the purpose of viewing on a personal electronic device. The contents of this audio are protected by copyright under international conventions, and apart from the permission stated, the reproduction, permanent storage, or retransmission of the contents of this audio is prohibited without the prior written consent of DICOMA. Rules of certain state supreme courts may consider this advertising and require us to advise you of such designation. Copyright 2017, Dykema Gossett, PLLC.